You're listening to Tove, a podcast about the good place and Jewish ideas. Hey, it's John Spira-Savet and Savannah Lipinski. Hi, Savannah. Hi, John. We are just meeting each other today, Heather, we've been corresponding, and tell us about yourself as a first-time co-host here on Tove. Sure. I'm graduating from the University of Wisconsin this week with a degree Ooh, in Mazel Jewish Tov. Studies <laughs> and Geology. Thank you. And I am headed to JTS for rabbinical school in the fall. At my During my time at UW, I've gotten really involved with Jewish communities and Jewish educational opportunities. And I'm excited to sort of continue that journey as I enter the rabbinate and go to JTS. Hmm. So we'll get to know you through, of course, your thoughts on The Good Place. And to start with, which of these characters of ours do you feel like you're most like? I... I think I find myself identifying most with Eleanor. I think that she, especially as the show progresses, is doing a lot to sort of reconcile who she was in the past with who she wants to be in the future. And I see a lot of myself in that, in that there are things that I'm not proud of that I'm sort of trying to grow from and become a leader out of the experience of growth that I'm having. And I, I think I see that in Eleanor's character progression throughout the show. Mm-hmm. How about a character you feel like you would like to grow toward? I think that one would have to be Michael. I think I'm really inspired by the wonder with which Michael sees the world and especially the human world. And I think I could use a healthy dose of wonder in my life. And I think of all the characters, Michael makes a really impressive transformation as a character. He goes from being a literal demon to being mm. someone who's really committed to doing good for people. And I think that that's also really inspiring to me. Mm-hmm. So one thing I forgot to tell you, I would ask you is your good place origin story. How did you get started with this show? Yeah, I think I found the show maybe in like 2018. I was homesick with the flu and just sort of on the couch looking for something lighthearted to sort of, spend the day doing and I have a tendency to just find like silly sitcoms to watch and Mm -hmm. thought that just based on the preview of this show that was going to sort of fit the bill and I watched the entire first season and the end of season one just like had me reeling and I just instantly was obsessed with the show and went back and watched all of the seasons again (laughs) and just sort of was hooked from the beginning and every time I've gone back and watched it again or watched a new season I realized like that the show has so much more depth than what I originally thought and what I originally saw. Um, I thought it was just going to be silly, sort of lighthearted, stupid humor. And it's that, but it's also so much more. So it went from being like kill time, not paying attention to it on the couch to actually, this is a show that I want to rewatch and analyze and sort of think about more. Mm -hmm. Cool. So we're going to talk about an episode together. And why don't you give us Savannah the, the intro and summary? Sure. This is chapter 50, Mondays, am I right? Written by Jen Statsky and directed by Rebecca Asher. Michael introduces the new system to the other demons, most of whom have difficulty, except Vicky, who shows up dramatically and excels. Michael seems threatened by Vicky's skill, and he attempts to exclude her from the project, until Janet and Tahani persuade him that his individual sense of purpose is less important than what's best for improving the afterlife. 
So Michael and Vicky stage a coup against him in front of the other demons where she takes over the project. Eleanor is concerned that Chidi will stop loving her once he learns the details of her life on Earth. Instead, Chidi becomes concerned that Eleanor will eventually grow bored with him. Jason maneuvers Chidi into realizing that, just as Janet and Jason are also very different from each other, and Chidi has faith in their relationship, he can also believe in his relationship with Eleanor. Once the new afterlife training is up and running, Michael has good news. The judge has decided that the four humans need no further test and can go to the good place. All right. Thank you. Well, I bet we both agree that this was a, a funny episode. Lots of lots of laughs. Did you have any favorite yes. moments? <laughs> there were so many. I think like the standouts for me were the interactions between Jason and Chidi. I think one in particular, when Chidi comes to apologize to Jason for what he'd said about Jason's relationship with Janet, and Jason goes, you know, you were right. Like, I know Janet and I are different and maybe it can't last. And there's this funny line where he references the Montagues and Capulets and Chidi's <laughs> impressed that he's like read a book. But then Chidi responds and says like, listen, maybe on paper you and Janet don't make sense, but who cares? Your relationship is really wonderful and she loves you and that's all that matters. And then Jason says, you know, do you really believe that? And Chidi says, of course. And then Jason does this move where he turns it on him and says like, sucker, I got you. <laughs> like pretend what you just said was what you said to you instead of to me. And it, it was this like really smart workaround that Jason came up with to get Chidi to realize that the advice he needed, he knew all along, which I think was such a really beautiful moment between Jason and Chidi that was funny. And then they walk into the workroom and Eleanor's in there and Chidi goes, I was being stupid and Jason gave me some really good advice and Jason goes, classic us. And I just think <laughs> those scenes are so representative of that relationship between Chidi and Jason and, and how much they complement each other as characters. So I thought those were really funny. Yeah, that is really super. The way I wrote down the way he said this, you have to listen to yourself because it was already in your own head, then came out, but just put it back in your head. <laughs> and not only that, but I feel like it sounds to me like the little bit of Socrates, you know, in the dialogues that I ever read, like it sounds like everything we think we're learning new, we already knew. <laughs> and we just have to kind of get it drawn out. And what you're saying about Chidi and, and Jason is so cool, because in a way, Jason is the other philosopher. He's the one who comes out with these like pronouncements. I mean, Eleanor like learned how to, but Jason seems to be like naturally given <laughs> at times to these, these things. Oh my God, yeah. In sort of this vein of like characters, I was thinking about Michael has this habit of like wanting to say something and like if you didn't get it to make sure you got it. Like, who do we have to thank for effortlessly implementing it, this new thing? Whoever it is, I think we can all agree it was a home run. It was me. Yeah, <laughs> and, that was great. Uh, or when they're when they're orchestrating the this the fake coup with Vicky, I thought I got rid of you and now you're coming through the door unexpectedly. <laughs> And I, I really, I have to say, like that is a that is a dimension of Michael I identify with. I've I've many times said, you know, here that I am, of course, Ted Dance is tall, and I am decidedly not so. But I suppose as a rabbi, you're like treated as a person with authority or a male or whatever. And I, I'm always feeling like I need to, like, <laughs> did you get it? You know, am I really? <laughs> yeah, I think like the explicitness with which his humor comes across is is so well done and so funny and every line that Michael has is always just done so well. I think another one that I thought was pretty funny 
was when they were staging these tests and using Tahani as sort of the test subject and Michael was trying to get the demons to understand sort of their assignment. And the first one that goes up sets the stage and it kind of seems like maybe she understood it's like this fancy cocktail party and Tahani is being served hors d'oeuvres, but then all of a sudden she turns around and there's like a giant chainsaw bear <laughs> and they stop it. And, and Michael goes like, okay, but remember, like, we're not using chainsaw bears anymore, you know, make it smaller and more relatable. And they run it again and the same scene plays out and she turns around and it's a smaller bear wearing a shirt that says like epic bacon much and then also like whips out the chainsaws and i i think that that scene was so funny and the shirt didn't make any sense but it also seemed like such a like human shirt for a demon chainsaw bear to be wearing i thought that was hilarious and you know she goes it was smaller and more relatable <laughs> and i think that was also where the title for the show comes from because right before the bear pulls out the chainsaws, he goes like Mondays. Am I right? Yeah. The things they come up with to make it seem relatable to humans were so funny. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was great. When the, I forget which of the demons it was who has the insight there about, okay. So like her parents were the chainsaw bear and instead of chopping off her head, they chopped off her self-esteem. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A good moment. Um, I was curious now, just generationally, we are, I don't think of myself this way, but I guess we are probably of different generations a little bit. So they, they have this stuff like at the beginning about, I hope it's not more sexual harassment training. We just did that. And I'm already like, did the, or the woke, like, did that, did that land with you as funny or was that? Like, oh yeah. Yeah. I think those were definitely also like standout one-liners that I thought were hilarious. I think, especially the, the line about the sexual harassment training, I thought was so funny because it's a you know a line you might hear in a workplace like oh are we going to sexual harassment training again we just did it last week but then the way they follow it up with like and i'm already so good at it is such a fun bad place demon spin on you know a classic sort of workplace banter here's another maybe generational thing i was going to ask you so when when sean comes with michael and they're presenting what's going to happen to the demons and and sean is attempting to say we're actually going to be working together or something like that. I thought that that might be a reference to something, TV sitcom person. I don't think I know the reference. So I think there's been this little running thing about the show Happy Days, which uh, ah. has a Wisconsin-Illinois connection. There is this this character, the Fonz, who when I was growing up was the emblem of coolness. And one thing that he couldn't do was to say that he was wrong in one time when he was trying to own up to something. And these, these are supposed to be like teenagers in the 50s. Like, I was... I was Maybe I'll drop this in the in the notes too. And it sort of goes back. There was a thing in the previous episode where where Sean was at this cart that was called Joni Loves Tchotchkes, which is a a reference to the characters of Joni and Chachi in the Happy Days. The stand was called Fragile Friends for All Your Happy Days. So I think that was put in there <laughs> for people like me and <laughs> even my parents. Oh, the thing about the library book, you know, cheese. I... <laughs> It got very, I put the library in my will to make up for it. That has got to be one of those, like, oh my God, brilliant lines to come up with. I was going to mention that as well, because Eleanor and Chidi have this moment where she's first really afraid of having him read sort of her history on earth and then decides actually it's best if you just read it now and get it over with. And the sort of interaction that they have afterward is really funny. She, you know, it's one of those moments where 
you get hints of what happened in Eleanor's life from the writers that are always so random and funny that, you know, how did they come up with that? But Eleanor saying, you know, what's the worst you could have done? Forgotten to return a library book? And Chidi goes, well, I moved and I just left it in the bottom of a box. I put the library in my will to make up for it was, I think, such a hilarious line and so perfectly Chidi. I think that was a great one. Yeah, yeah. Do you know who Frida Kahlo is? I do. Oh, tell me. <laughs> <laughs> so the like artist, I don't want to get this wrong, but I think she was a Mexican <laughs> artist who made, I mean, really like beautiful, color colorful, extravagant art. And I, I think that was a funny mention of Eleanor, like of all the people that she could choose that might end up in the good place to, you know, be her like cheat on cheaty like, with the, yeah. the fact that she came up with Frida Kahlo was such a random funny moment for Eleanor is that is that an artist that you know like do people know am I terribly uncultured to not know I think is? people know the work of Frida Kahlo or at least I think she has a really iconic look so the image of Frida Kahlo I think is relatively well known but I, mm. I can't say that I know that much about her actual life or her history so it's gonna note this on sort of a meta level. But do you listen to the the NBC The Good Place podcast? I don't actually. Oh, you should. So the first time they had the actor Tia Sarkar, who plays Vicky on, she told this great story. She said that she actually auditioned for the part of Tahani, which she didn't get, but she said that that Michael Schur and his team have this habit of if they see someone good and they can't use them right away, they sort of keep them as someone who they might, you know, have use for later. And when this idea of originally it was, what was it? It was real Eleanor came up, you know, who became Vicky, they they went back to her and she was just marveling that, uh, you know, she's like, yeah, obviously, you know, Jamila is, is Tahani, how could that not be? But, but here they're able to find a place for me. And it was such an awesome part you know she's got one of those great interesting transformations i think to vicky and so i thought it was so funny especially the part where vicky is talking about what tahani's like weak points are and that she's way too into being tall which is a big difference but i just thought that was they were able to maybe maybe use that little fun fact about the actor's relationship not relationship with each other it wasn't like they competed directly but sort of you know make a thing between them in the show that was cool anybody who's going into a career i think in acting or probably any sort of similar kind of thing it's a great interview with her to listen to which i'll link to because it, a lot of wisdom about how one looks at career and sort of one moment may not seem amazing but it might turn out to open up to something else anything else you want to call out as a laugh probably one of the last ones that really stood out to me was when I think Michael and Janet and Tahani were talking about not letting Vicky participate in the training to design the new test because Michael doesn't want Vicky to be the one to solve his problems. And then Janet says, oh, I understand what that's like. Once on earth, I didn't know something and I had to ask Alexa. I felt dirty. And I thought that was hilarious. Oh, so good. So yeah, let's dive thematically into the episode in, in one or two ways. I was just looking over the list of season four and was just amazed at how much ground they've covered. Like I, I think we've been cranking these out pretty frequently in terms of podcast episodes on the season, but but the beginning of the season seems like forever ago in plot time. So it's pretty cool to get to this point. And certainly it seems like, although you might correct me less about the ethical dilemmas of the moment and more about kind of some of the big pictures of an ethical life or a good life. You know, similar to what you were pointing at, that I think there 
is sort of this overarching progress in the show toward getting this new test and getting to the good place. And the big overarching ethical question is how do you determine what makes a good life? But I think while that is happening over the course of the season, this episode also had a few like smaller philosophical moments throughout it. And I think, you know, one of them is sort of like Michael's struggle to find purpose in his life. Mm. And I think another one is this question that Eleanor's situation with Chidi raises about, you know, does a person's past matter when you're thinking about moving toward the future with them? And then I think even the end of this episode where the four humans do get into the good place because of the help they provide in the designing this system points to the idea that there's redemptive power in helping others complete chuva. And I think that like, there's space to sort of explore all of those little philosophical moments throughout this episode, while also thinking about the overarching ethical arc of the show. And I think one place in Jewish literature that ties together all of those things is in Parshat Kedoshim, uh, which is the Torah portion that talks about God's instructions to B'nai Israel about what it means to sort of live a holy life. And I think there were a couple verses in particular that I think really pulled out some of the ethical mm-hmm. dilemmas in this show for me. One of them about the situation with Chidi and Eleanor, and even just the fact that they bring up this question of judging each other's past. And one line in Parshat Kedoshim in Leviticus 19.15 is, but in righteousness shall you judge your colleague. And this becomes an entire conversation in the Talmud about judging people in court and in litigations and making sure you're judging them righteously. And I think that that points to what Chidi is doing and trying to do with Eleanor and also vice versa. Like all of these people have their troubled past. And even as they're confronted with a physical book of all of their misdoings, they still manage to sort of judge each other righteously. And I think that that's one like really beautiful ethical question that appears in this episode. But then the next line in Parshat Kedoshim, Leviticus 19.16, then has this line, do not stand idly by the blood of your neighbor, which also is like just taken so many different directions in the Talmud and by Jewish scholars and thinkers. And Rambam in in particular uses that line to explain the importance of protecting the lives of others. And I think that to me connects with like ending of the show where the four of them get into the good place because they've done all of this work to sort of help protect the lives of others. Yeah, that is super. You know, as you're talking, I was thinking about how much, though they're talking about judging big adult, you know, kind of on a big scale, like that's the explicit job that they have. They get sort of focused, or at least I guess Eleanor and Chidi do on this question of first judging themselves, I guess, and sort of wondering how other people will judge them. They're more worried, what will you think of me than what will the system think of me, I think, which is super. And I think that we've talked, I don't know how much we've really talked about that in in a while here on the, the podcast, sort of that dimension of judging. We've always framed it, I think, or we've frequently been framing it as sort of judgment versus learning and growth, but but judgment with oneself and with seeing oneself in the mirror of other people or so you think is kind of a, a dimension that's important to draw out. Are there things in the commentaries on that that you have found? Any, any particular thing that is good to learn or illustrative in the episode? I think that there's one line in 
Shavuot 30a, where the rabbis are sort of exploring this line in righteousness shall you judge your colleague. And they expand on this line in many ways, some of them applicable to this episode and, and some of them less so. But one that I think in particular that really got me thinking about this situation with Chidi and Eleanor is a line that says, Rav Yosef teaches that from the verse, been in righteousness shall you judge your colleague. Uh, it is derived with regard to one who is with you in observance of Torah and in fulfillment of mitzvot, try to judge him favorably in the manner that the Gemara will now explain. And I think that to me, that reminds me sort of of Eleanor and Chidi having been through this experience of studying ethics and trying to be good people. And, and there's this idea that if someone has been someone who studies Torah with you and, and obviously observes mitzvot, that you kind of have this knowledge of who they are already. And so when they do something wrong, you are instructed to sort of judge them favorably and with, and with righteousness because what you know about them as a person tells you more than potentially whatever action they're being judged for. Mm -hmm. And I think to me, that reminds me of this moment in the episode where Chidi is saying, our lives on earth are such a small piece of who we are and an even smaller piece of who we are together. We've been through all of these experiences together. I know who you are and small actions that you have on earth aren't going to change that relationship for me. And I think that is a connection that I saw in that text. Mm. You know, it, you're also making me think of something that's in that same section of, of Leviticus, Vayikra, about holding grudges and taking revenge, which I know the rabbis talk about when you have a particular memory of someone who you felt wronged you, and you fling it back at them, you know, explicitly, either you say, you know, somebody asks to, you know, borrow an axe, and you say, well, you know, you didn't lend me an axe, I'm not going to do it. Or the other way where you say, yeah, you didn't lend me an axe, so I am specifically going to be, unlike you, I'm going to graciously give you my axe to borrow. And it's making me pick up on something that, that I think Rebecca and I were talking about in the last episode, which is kind of the memories cut both ways. You know, on the one hand, all the things we've done are, are part of our story. And, and in the high holidays, we have this image of this book that has the things that you know, everything in it, essentially this book, which they which they now have, but presumably more more beautiful. But but then she, I guess, is saying that it's actually not important to remember everything equally that's written in the whole file. And I guess we have a relationship, you know, I guess what, what, she, what each of them say about the other is that, like, I don't need to know everything in this book to judge you. And each person says, but I judge me based on everything in this book, except for Jason, who considers himself a legend. <laughs> I siphon so much gas, Eleanor, even if the car was moving or on fire or a boat, I still always got that gas. And yet even Jason is worried that he's not up to, or, well, no, it's, no, no, he's not. I'm sorry. He fakes, he does the, the head fake about I'm not worthy of Janet. In the past, he's wondered whether he's worthy of her, but he seems to have gotten over that. So I guess he really is the good example of <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not having self-judgment issues, but Wow. Do you think there's sort of an advice that that comes out of this? Like, are we supposed to guard ourselves in this way? You know, we talk so much, I feel like we talk in society so much about being judged wrongly by other people, you know, superficially. I guess more, more on that, you know, the sense that people, you know, judge a book by its cover. 
is there a Jewish take, you know, on, uh, I think judgment is something we need, you know, we, we shouldn't just accept everything that people do or that we do ourselves, clearly. Do you think that, you know, that this is essentially what Chidi is trying to say, that once we've sort of made ourselves accountable to those things in the past, you know, so if there were unattractive things about Eleanor's behavior, as we know there are, if she's done her tshuva, then that can be... I don't know, do you erase it from the book? Do you keep it in the book with sort of a stamp on it that says, Chuva, move on, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good question. And I think I see it in a couple different ways. One being what you just explained, that Eleanor has made Chuva. She's changed a lot as a person and overcome a lot of the worst things that she did on Earth that are in that book. And I think that's one aspect of it, that Chidi has seen her over the course of what we can expect to probably be thousands of years at this point, that they've gone through multiple iterations of afterlife simulations. And he's seen so much of who she is post kind of overcoming her time on earth. And I think that's one part of it. And I think another part of it is judging people a bit more leniently and favorably when we know that they are good people or trying to be good people, or they have the same values that we do. I think the lesson I get out of this is that it is okay to mess up and it's not necessarily death sentence or condemnation when you make mistakes. And that when someone that you care about has done something maybe less than favorable, giving them the benefit of the doubt and helping them become the person they want to be is the right path. And I think that's sort of what Chidi has done with Eleanor is seeing who she was and who she wants to be and sees the values that she has and helps to guide her along on this path of tshuva. And I think that's the lesson that I get out of this teaching and also the relationship that Chidi has had with Eleanor. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about the way that he frames his concern about their relationship when he's talking to Jason, which is that, you know, I've done very little ethically weighty here or there, and she's had to overcome so much. And there is this long discussion, I don't know if it's so long, there's a discussion in, in Maimonides in this other work of his called Shmona Prakim, Eight Chapters, which is his introduction to Pirkei Avot, which are these ethical maxims from the Mishnah that, we, that we've talked about from time to time. And he addresses the question essentially that, that Chidi raises, is it better to be somebody whose soul is entirely aligned with goodness, or is it better to be someone who has had to, had to work to overcome the things that are pulling them to act wrongly? We talk about the, the Yetzir Hara and, and, in, and in a vote where it says, you know, who is who is strong or who is courageous or powerful, the one who, who conquers their, their Yetzir Hara, who overcomes their their urges. And I guess that's what Chidi is saying, like, I mean, he has this whole thing about his almond milk <laughs> stuff and indecision, but he seems to really respect Eleanor for having gone through so much, having had to deal with so much in the way she, you know, was brought up and then the work that she's done to become who she is. And, um, and he's sort of initially making this claim or worries, I think, that not that he thinks that he's some kind of tzaddik, that he's some sort of person who didn't have inclinations to do these things, but he thinks that that work is itself valuable and maybe is more valuable than just kind of coasting on an ethical, you know, an easier field or, or just being being good, I guess, from the outset. And I guess they sort of asked that question, like, should when we test the system, should we start with people who are going to slide in because they were great? Should it be the people with the highest point totals or who overcame the greatest hardship? So in the course of that, you know, Rambam, Maimonides does say, 
you know, it sure seems like, you know, philosophers, by which he means like other philosophers, prefer the person who has no evil inclination, but that Jewish sources seem to value the person who works to overcome. He also said something interesting that I that I was just trying to see if it played out in this episode also, which is that he says that in that we, who he calls Hasidim, you know, people of, I guess, great religious character and would you say sort of a spiritual progress will actually make themselves kind of swerve a little bit from the from the middle path not that they'll do wrong things but that they'll go five percent in either direction off a quality which is perfect so that they're constantly doing the work of putting themselves back and they never get into this coasting thing and i i hadn't really i never really encountered that idea at all and was sort of thinking about that and because it does seem like one of the the things that's eventually going to happen, I guess, as they design what happens when you're in the afterlife is this question of like, how do you keep it? How do you keep it sort of alive? And I guess we see, boy, I'm giving a longer speech than I usually do. I think we see even in this episode that even though they think they're doing the job of of judging other people or, or setting up other people for the test, they really seem still to be working on themselves. And it's nice, you know, even though, as we know, they've kind of earned their way in already, they're still, they're not done critiquing their own thing. And yet, and yet, as you're saying, maybe some of that judgment is unwarranted. So I don't know. Now I'm like in circles. <laughs> is it a good thing? <laughs> is Chidi's questions here in this episode, are they misguided or are they a good thing? Yeah, I think this episode poses a really interesting question in that, you know, are the extreme ups and downs better or is having maybe a more stable and what Chidi worries is a more boring life? ultimately the better option. And I don't know if we get much of an answer, but I think that's a really interesting question that this episode poses that you're talking about. Yeah, I think also, you know, Michael in a way is asking that same question at a different phase, that feeling like if he doesn't stop with working toward his goal, is his life going to be his life, whatever, his existence going to be kind of meaningless. And and I was intrigued about how, you know, I think what Janet says, which is that in this case, it's not about you and your inner work. It's kind of about what existence needs, what the humans as a whole need. So you're going to have to put your thing aside. But, but I feel like that is what Michael is representing. Like, I need a struggle to be in. And uh, it's essentially the case he had made to Sean last week. Sean had said, you know, like, when I'm not fighting with you, it's not really... <laughs> Even my demonness is not is not all that interesting to me. <laughs> yeah, and I think especially in the case of Michael and and last episode's relationship between Michael and Sean, it's almost asking this question of like, is personal happiness and fulfillment more important than dedicating yourself to serving your greater good, which is sort of the dilemma that Michael is experiencing because he so desperately wants to have this rock to push up the hill, but handing off that rock to Vicky is ultimately what gets it progressed to the point of having a successful test for the afterlife. And then he's always looking for this rock to push up the hill, but you know, it's weighing this situation of is your happiness and fulfillment in life more important or is dedicating your life to the greater good more important? And I think that's really similar to what's going on with Chidi and Eleanor, because Chidi is someone who has devoted his life to try to serve this greater good. And his, the book of his life is only a few pages long. And he's, you know, worried that he's so boring because he hasn't 
overcome anything or had these experiences where he's grown. Um, and Eleanor has sort of always worked to serve her own happiness and fulfillment. And one of the experiences she's had in the, in the test and the good place and the bad place is trying to overcome that desire to just serve her own happiness and fulfillment and try to serve a greater good. And so what is better because the good place has pushed her in the direction of wanting to do good for other people, which for both her and Michael, I think has potentially prevented them from feeling like they have this thing that fulfills them. Mm -hmm. But Chidi, who has lived his whole life trying to just serve the greater good and has never really thought about his own happiness and fulfillment seems to be the one who's sort of boring and doesn't feel like he's ever lived much of a life. So mm, it's mm. interesting. So where would you put Vicky in this scheme? Does she win you over in this episode or is she sufficiently reflective <laughs> around these issues? I don't know if Vicky ever wins me over. I think, you know, there's too much of Vicky being the bad person for her to ever be the good guy to me. But I think that Vicky definitely sees what needs to be done and knows that she's the person to do it and is willing to sort of take up the staff and do the work. And I think that I respect her and admire that that is a position that she knows that she should take on. And I think that the fact that she was able to have this moment where she reconciles that with Michael definitely redeemed her to me as a character because ultimately she does help push the good place and the, the test to get into the good place to where it needs to be. So she clearly is understands that it is essential for the sake of all human souls that this test is implemented and she understands how to do it and really commits to that mission. And I think that that's definitely makes her a much more compelling character. I love her getting into Tahani's headspace. Hello, love. Pish, yeah. Pish, tuna and pickles. I once played billiards with Questlove and Olivia Munn. <laughs> and she says, okay, yeah. I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, actually, you know, it's, I, I have thought about this thing about the actor and sort of the position that an, an actor is in. You know, she's obviously an actor who's playing an actor, you know, or whatever. It was role-playing an actor. And in one way, actors have this gift of being able to get outside themselves and jump into another perspective. I know actors don't have a personal mission always to learn about themselves that way, although maybe a lot of them do. And But I think that's what Michael attempts to sort of mentor her in, which is to say that she says, I'm a strong, independent acid snake in the skin suit of a strong, independent woman. And, and he says, this is a role of a lifetime and full creative control. And she kind of internalizes that as it is the role, you know, that I've always wanted to, to grow into. We don't, obviously, it's much, it's much more compressed even in the episode than what, than what Chidi reflects on, but I'm chewing on that. And I would be curious even what, what other people think about that if they want to post that to us. I'm really fascinated by the, the verses you chose and, and, and going back to Kadoshim. You were sort of tying together these two aspects of judging righteously and not standing idly by. It's a nice tie-in together that you're pulling out in the Torah and obviously in the episode too. I think for myself also, I'm finding myself thinking about this idea of the book the Sefer HaZichronot of Book of Memories of the High Holidays versus the files that they that they get that we first saw, I think, in the accounting department in last season and that we're seeing here. 
Because I don't even know for myself. Like, I think that I identify with Michael with the sort of what's now question that, that Michael has. And we were talking in the last episode, Rebecca and I, she made this observation kind of about the generational thing that Michael is kind of old slash eternal and all of our characters are taken in the middle of their lives. And there's clearly this sort of handover thing, you know, Sean and Michael are passing it to Vicky and the the demon trainees. And and I wonder whether at different life stages we think about our our memories not even our, we've, there's our memories of ourselves and also but each of those memories probably is an evaluation too. What, what do I think of that person I was at that stage of life? Do I have to think about that a lot? You know, do I, am I accountable still for that or, or not? Yeah, I think one key component of both aging and being a leader is sort of thinking about what it means to hand off your work to the next generation. And I, I do think that that's something that appears in Jewish thought in a lot of ways. But I think that that concept is particularly apparent in Michael's relationship with Vicky and the way that the work is being handed off from the demons who are running the system to a new set of demons and from the humans to whatever comes after them as they move on to the good place. And I do think that that question is something that Michael is stewing on during this episode in that he has this realization during the episode that he actually does need to hand off this leadership opportunity to Vicky. And what does that mean for his future? He kind of has to figure that out later, but he uses this opportunity to sort of reflect on the way he's grown into this position of taking care of the humans and sort of leading this project and is willing to step out of his own desire to have a rock to push up the hill so that he can help Vicky sort of step into this new leadership role that he gives her. And I think that's a really beautiful moment for Michael's growth. One thing I'm a little surprised in, in a certain way that the show doesn't give a name to is kind of that if you get the rock to, if Michael gets the rock to Vicky and she can finish pushing it up the hill, that, that that sort of should be on your account also. There's been all this talk about sort of the points you get for the deeds you already did, and, and also the unintended negative consequences of living, you know, in a complex, interconnected world, but not sort of the points that you unleash in the future by the things that you do, which could be really positive. So one of my revisions, my, one of my proposed revisions to the system is that you should get you should get credit for things that other people later on remember that you did, and it inspires them to do something good, which is hard for me. I was thinking the other day for some reason about what are my great-grandchildren going to like know about me at all? A, will they remember, will somebody remember something to tell them so they have some sense of one of their ancestors? And also, like in the in the general moral accounting of the universe, will my presence here have mattered in in that way? It's hard enough, I suppose, to think about the actions we actually do without thinking about the the future that's that's not written yet. But I have been sort of wondering about that, and I was really feeling for Michael. I find myself very emotional at his moments about that. And I guess I hadn't, you know, remembered from from the last time watching through. You know, it's I I sort of felt like the the humans had sort of a mission still that they were still working and which I don't know that that's really true because they're going to sort of go on. I guess they get a little something in the, the next episode, but not too much unless they choose to. You know, I think 
what you said points to one of the flaws in the original accounting system of the bad place in that life and the deeds that you do are sort of this ever evolving process of picking up where someone else left off and leaving a task to be completed by someone else. And I think we don't always take into account the work that other people have done to contribute to successes. I think it's so rare that major good deeds and accomplishments are ever accomplished over the course of like one person's lifetime and only contributed by that one person themselves. And both in the original accounting system of the bad place and also in the way that we maybe think about our successes in life, we don't always take into account the fact that everyone's ideas are built on the foundation of everyone else's and that, you know, how do we pay homage to the fact that our work is just built on top of the work that was done before us. And in the future, the work and good that is done will be built on the work that we did. And I think that that's maybe something that could be revised and thought about more, certainly in, in their accounting system in the show, but also in the way that we acknowledge achievements within our lives and in history. Mm. Yeah, it'll be interesting, you know, to think about whether in the f the future, however many Baramis out, whether the demons will sort of tell the story of, you know, in the beginning, we were all demons, and Sean was a demon, and Michael was a demon, and then Michael had an awakening, and now we all learned how to, <laughs> and then it was like a Vicky, and <laughs> and how many Baramis before that story is like not relevant anymore, and they have to come right. <laughs> a new iteration. <laughs> I think I play out in these conversations about the good place all the time, this sort of conundrum about the long view versus the good I might be doing right now. And and it's it's personally hard for me to sort of come to a, a landing place that I feel okay about. I know that I certainly fit in the category of a person who's like continually trying to struggle against the, the inner pulls in the other direction. So it's not like I... It's not like I think otherwise, um, but in terms of like how much you have to do. And I wonder about that with sort of Michael, even if I shift from implementing and architecting to training or from training to leaving it off, is that good enough, even though that's an act that keeps on giving without my having to, to actively do it? Yeah, I think Janet offers Michael this like really beautiful line at the end of the episode where the test is kicking off and Vicky is in charge and it's right before the humans and Michael board the balloon to the good place. And she says to Michael, you got the rock up the hill and it looks like it's going to stay there. Now we just need to find your next rock. Mm. And I think it was, first of all, beautiful that Janet sort of acknowledges all of the work that Michael put into this project, even though he wasn't the one who got the rock to the top of the hill. And I think that's sort of what we were talking about in that you kind of contribute to good that people take over. And it's great that Janet was able to give Michael the acknowledgement that he contributed so much to that success and that Michael is dealing with the struggle of trying to figure out the purpose of his life. And Janet just says, you know, well, go find another rock. There's probably always another rock that needs to be pushed up the hill. There's always good to be done and purpose to be found in life. And I thought that was a really great line that she offered him to help him get through that difficult situation that he's dealing with in this episode. 
Mm. So tell me if you think this is too mechanical as like an interpretation of what you brought in before, because I thought kind of what you were discussing was that one way we judge is that if we, if you've kind of gotten to a point where you have a certain goodness in you, or you've done a certain amount of tshuva, then you've kind of earned the right to be judged, you know, favorably or less harshly. And then you can ask these questions like, what's my next rock? Is it sort of sequential like that? Like if really, if you've not, you know, it's not just that you're not pushing the rock, you're actively pushing the rock down the hill, you're rolling it over people who are below you, then we're really not at the level yet where we can talk about, you know, (laughs) what your purpose and things are. Is it kind of like that? You reach sort of a plateau number one, then you have the luxury of thinking about the bigger picture of your life. Yeah, I think using the rock metaphor, once you've gotten it, in an overall uphill direction, a little bit of backward progress should be maybe looked at in a more forgiving way, as opposed to you're already at the top of the hill, just knocking rocks down behind you, then you haven't really proven your commitment to living righteously, where I think Michael and Eleanor and many of these characters have been working really hard to push their rocks up the hill and progress is never fully linear and one directional. And I think the fact that they still continue to strive to make this progress is maybe the thing that matters. And maybe that's what's being pulled out of that text in Kidoshim. Do you have the sense in in Kedoshim that they really are talking about judging the whole file or it really is about judging your most recent actions? (laughs) Like, why are they even reading? (laughs) Like, why are they reading the whole file on everybody? Yeah, that's, (laughs) it's interesting. Certainly in the show, the way that they're choosing who to put through this test is based on the already flawed metric that they were using to judge people before. And I think that bringing in the file at all is probably an inherently flawed aspect of the system that they're trying to fix. But I think in the context of Kiddoshim and, and the rabbi's discussion of that text, I think it's like taking an individual as a whole and knowing who they are and judging action by action compared to their overall character. And I think maybe that can't be weighed as quantitatively as file on somebody's life tries to lay out. It's interesting. I, I have generally tried not to be a cruel person. I've tried to actively not be a cruel person, but there are one or two instances in my life where I have been cruel and I knew it. One of them is in my past, in my high school years, and I think about it all the time. I think about it before Rosh Hashanah every year, and it looms it looms large for me. And so I don't know how it would loom in the system, you know, if Chidi was reading my file or if Eleanor was reading my file. It was just, you know, a mean thing I did that I knew was mean, whatever. I expressed out something that I was thinking that that even as I was doing it, I knew I shouldn't have. And I wonder, I mean, obviously, I don't think of myself, therefore, okay, well, that makes you a cruel person. And I, I've tried to do my actions to do chuva and recognize, you know, those kinds of situations and not do them again. But I, I guess in that sense, you know, it's sort of, in the it's in my it's in my self concept you know I don't know that it has a point value here or there anymore, but it, it does constitute a piece of my identity. Yeah, I think that's one thing that this episode tries to draw out. Also, is that our own conception of ourself and who we are as a person is going to be so much different than someone who either has gotten to know us as a person or who reads a file of objective information about our lives. And I think that's shown through certainly Eleanor and Chidi, who both judge 
themselves very harshly and expect the world to judge them very harshly because of it. And each of them sort of knowing who the other one is gets a better sense of what matters. Like Chidi reads Eleanor's whole file and Eleanor expects him to hate her and to judge her so harshly. And he says, but you have been through so much and I know who you are. Your life on earth is such a small part of who you are. And then of course, the way Chidi talks about the library book that he forgot to return and thinks, you know, it was such a big issue when ultimately like the overall course of their lives have been so positive that other people can overlook some of those things that weigh really heavily on them. And I think that's certainly something I relate to as well. I, I tend to think more about the things that I've done wrong and the things that I feel maybe shame about in my life where I don't know if that is what defines me or anyone to other people. Yeah. And I guess what they're talking about here is there's, there's how we remember and judge ourselves, how we think other people remember and judge us and how the system or the divine or some better standpoint judges us, which is, which is the third thing entirely. I wouldn't want to rely entirely on the judgments of other people either. Although here it's lovely because they, they tend to pick each other up, but I don't think it's fake. I don't think it's because of a perspective of saying, you know, everybody gets a trophy all the time. I think it's like, we know you. And, and it's great because Chidi can, you know, essentially appreciate Jason and make fun of him at the same time. I can't believe you knew about the Montagues, but, and I'm going to say that out loud as I also credit you for teaching me an important lesson. <laughs> and, and it's really, it's really a, a nice way, I think, to comment on all those different dimensions of judgment. And we don't get to know what the true judgment is, not, not meaning the true, do I get in or not get into the good place, but what's the assessment of me? All we have is this sort of negotiation about, you know, how I think of myself, how I think you think of me. And it's, it's, it was cool how they played that out here. Absolutely. So Savannah, is there anybody from earlier in your life who you would point to as an important teacher or influence on your thinking about ethical philosophy or your own ethical development? I don't know if there are many people that I've had personal experiences with who have influenced the way I think about moral philosophy or ethics or my interest in the subject. I have taken one college course on ethics, and that was sort of my academic introduction to the study. And I think that there are some Jewish scholars and teachers who have inspired the way I think about philosophy Jewishly. And I think most notably, Rabbi Elliot Dorf would be one of those people who has inspired the way I think about moral philosophy in a, in a Jewish way. Well, Savannah, it's been so great to meet you and to meet each other through The Good Place. Yes, thank you, John. This is great. And that's another episode in the books. Thank you for making Tove part of your day. We'd love to hear your thoughts and questions and ideas. You can send a note to us at tove at tovegoodplace.com or connect with us on social media at tovegoodplace. We've got show notes on our episode on our website, tovegoodplace.com, with the texts we discussed and some deeper dives on the themes we talked about. Our website also has some more general reference material about the terminology of Jewish ethics and Jewish study. Thank you, Savannah Lipinski, for co-hosting Mazal Tov, and may the start of your rabbinic studies be rewarding for you and everyone you continue to teach. I'm John Spirasavet, and I'm online at rabbijohn.net and on social media at rabbijs3. Subscribe to Tov if you haven't already, and we always appreciate a good rating or a shout-out so we can reach even more Good Place fans. Thanks for listening. Now go learn more about something good.
Bum, 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 bum.